Hello, and welcome to The Virtual Frontier, the podcast about virtual teams created by a virtual team. I'm Chris, and I'm part of the team here at Flash Hub. On today's episode, we have Niels Feli. Niels is the co-founder of the Beta Codex Network and president of his own consulting firm based in New York and Germany. This episode is back to being in English, but you can still head over to our blog for the transcript. So here is our conversation with Niels Fleling. Hello and welcome to our new episode here in Virtual Frontier. My name is Daniel and um, our guest today is Niels Pfelling. Niels Pfelling uh, is a founder and associated of the Beta Codex Network and uh, as well president of a consulting firm in uh, Germany, in Wiesbaden. But um, yeah, Niels, have you, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, nice to have you here. Um, please introduce yourself, explain us a little bit what is Beta Codex and what is uh, the network behind it. That is very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Hi Daniel, hi Manuel, thanks for inviting me. Um, so um, yeah, I'm happy to uh, be talking about uh, Beta and the Beta Codex network. But uh, maybe, maybe a good way to explain what Beta is, is to, to just say it is the alternative to management, the social technology. It is the antidote. It's the kryptonite to management, the social technology, to pyramid organizations, to command and control. That, that is what it is. It is the, the antithesis, the opposite. So, and, and this came, let's say it was discovered. Beta was, was not invented. It was discovered around 15, 20 years ago by a bunch of uh, British guys. Uh, from the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable, of which I became associ associated uh, as well. And they wanted to find organizations that, um, successful and larger organizations that wouldn't do budgeting because they thought, okay, budgeting is a mess. Annual planning does, isn't worth it. It's shit, so to say. So let's figure out if there are organizations out there that can do without budgeting and annual planning. And they found some very interesting companies or larger companies, successful companies, mostly in Europe, some in, in the United States as well. And then they found, that was in, in the year 1999 or 2000, they found the Swedish Bank Handelsbanken, an organization that has had no, had, had no budgeting for about 30, 40 years already at the time. It's, it has been Europe's most successful bank for almost 50 years now. And um, from observing these cases, uh, they derived a model. They wanted to, to describe, okay, what, what makes organizations like Toyota, Handelsbanken, or in Germany, DM Drogeriemarkt, the drugstore retail uh, company. Uh, they, these guys wanted to describe what, 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 made, what, what this model was made up and, and uh, made from, and they figured out the principles behind it. And that is what we today call beta or the beta codex. The principles, of running, organ to running organizations without command and control, without centralized steering, without annual planning, in an agile way, so to say. Radically decentralized organizations without heroes at the top, not pyramid-shaped organizations, but we call them peach-like, radically decentralized. That is beta, that's beta codex. And the sad truth is, there are way too few organizations like that out here, out there. Most that's organizations still rely on bullshit command and control. That was yeah. my initial question, so uh, why, why? I understand the beta uh, codex. I understand the, the, the model behind it. Uh, when I was doing my research for our podcast today, 
I'm I'm fan of it. I I like it, but I see there are few companies, a few organizations that uh, maybe go in that direction somehow. Uh, um, but the vast majority isn't. What, what, what is happening? Why? Yes, uh, I think that's the big question, and I want to. I do not like to give easy answers to that question because that's the big riddle. Let's say we know we know that command and control is a huge pile of dung that it doesn't really work, that command control is inappropriate in complex times, that it's not, you know, it's not, it's not even humanly, you know, appropriate for human beings. We know all that, but still the world doesn't change. The world of organizations doesn't change. So there are several forces at work there that inhibit the transformation, if you want to say so. Yeah, I believe one, uh, one of the main inhibitors is that we, well, let's put it differently, make it, turn it into a little riddle. Why do you think, are there so, so few imitators to the Toyota model? We have known about Toyota and how great it is and about lean and all that stuff for 40, 50 years, right? The company Toyota is doing, has been doing it for 60 years, what they do it. But still, you know, German, uh, German car manufacturers, for example, run on command and control. They totally do it. And American companies in Detroit haven't changed either. And most of the Korean companies are command and control uh, as well. So why aren't we learning from the good examples? It's, it's a big riddle. So maybe because it still works for them. Somehow. I would say that the, strug the struggle is not big enough until now. How big can it be? I mean, uh, that's, 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 that's a good question. <laughs> It, it. Okay, it works for them only. I think it only works for them because they think it's normal. What they are doing is normal. Yeah. yeah? And it's inevitable. So mm -hmm. command and control only survives, I think, because we believe it is normal. It is inevitable. Inevitable. There's no alternative. And of course, everybody's doing it, which is a lie. It's, it's, that's not true. Like there was a drugstore company, a retail company, very famous in Europe, Schlecker. Mm -hmm. Doesn't exist anymore. It was Germany's and Europe's biggest retail uh, drugstore chain. Imploded a couple of years ago. Now DM Drogeriemarkt, a much better company, radically decentralized, like Toyota, like Handelsbank. They they rule because they not because they have better products really. It's just that they are, have the much better organizational model. I mean, Toyota is not better because Toyota overwhelmingly employs Japanese. That's not the reason. It doesn't make a difference. You know, the difference is they believe in different principles, organizational principles. And uh, I think one of the answers is that uh, is, is also one of the less obvious answers to the question, why do companies not move to that model more often? Why do not more of them move to a decentralized, self-organized model, more agile, more, you know, less based on planning and steering from the top? Why do so few companies do it? I think one of the reasons is that we don't think people can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't think that people are self-intrinsically motivated. We, we believe that other people do not like the work. We have to force them, bribe them, punish them a little bit. Okay. Yeah, maybe sometimes it's the fact, but most likely it's not that they don't like their work. It's that they don't like the environment of like being controlled and forced to do something where they don't see any sense. Like, um, what I'm wondering when you are talking about agile organizations, decentralized organizations, um, and you're talking about not planning. Would you say that we should not plan anymore? Oh, yes, absolutely. 
Okay. Why Planning is, is a luxury that no company can afford to do to 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 give itself. You know, planning uh, is planning is great when the environment yeah. doesn't change. Yes. Yeah. Then you can plan because then it's safe. You make a plan here, nothing changes. You can execute. So planning in itself isn't bad. It's just bad if the world, you know, is complex and yes. full of surprises. Then planning okay, is that's, bad. That's a big it's a very simple. difference. It's really simple. It's really just that planning works well when there is no surprise. When sure. there is surprise, planning works not well. Yeah, and, and the surprise happens when the environment and the assumptions that are part of the plan change, and if they change more rapidly, then the plan planning becomes gets you dumber. Yeah. The more surprises, the dumber and dumber it is to plan. The dumbest thing, if you want to run an organization, is to plan the results that you want to have and then to turn them into targets, like strategic targets, fixed targets, yeah. connect them with, with incentives. It's the most stupid thing that you can do because then you imprison people to execute on targets that have become irrelevant in the moment, right in the moment of planning. Already. Or they will always be relevant because people cannot see what would be a good target. They cannot know. I mean, people who, who plan cannot know what would be a good target either. So that the, the whole thing of planning and target setting and fixed planning and bo bonus systems, all this performance management crap. Sorry, pardon the language, but it is really, it's really bullshit. You know? I want to, I want to understand the tree on that because, um, but I think we have, we are not yet precisely enough talking about planning. So, from my from my point of view what i where i see a huge value is in fact in planning because people try to deeply understand how things impact each other so that is the value for me in planning i'm not telling that when i create a plan i have to stick to everything because as you say that's simply not possible but i experienced what happens when we don't plan at all we just run with closed eyes on autopilot, the things, how we are used to do it, right? So somehow getting consciousness about something and measuring key drivers and understanding where you want to go. I'm not telling that, okay, we need to hit our exact target, but we need to understand the direction and the key drivers that move us. Yes, well said. No, well said. And in your private lives, you both can call it planning if you like, or you can Manuel, you can call it planning if you like, but the real word, the right word for what you just described, you know, to understand the interconnections, to understand the results you want to get, to understand how to get there. <laughs> there is another word, another conceptual, you know, it's important to, to, to use proper words for Absolutely. Yes. So how is that called? You I want to know. run a marathon. That is the part where I think we, we are not yet aligned because I don't know this word. For me, it's planning. What is it for you? No, no, no. It's not planning for you. You know a better word. Everybody knows a better word. If you want a to run a marathon. Adjustment, measurement. <laughs> no, no. All these are technocratic terms. And, and the interesting thing is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not criticizing here or anything. I just want, I just want to make you aware that the, t yeah. the words that we use already are, in, they are infested with command and control concepts. Mm. We have to measure people. We have to, you know, incentivize them. We have to plan. Da, 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 da. We have this technocratic mindset and language. Uh, a less technocratic mindset would say, okay, we want teams to be responsible. You know, we want to, we want to hold them accountable for results. 
Yes. I would not even call talk of key in performance indicators. I would say that there are some things that we will always pay attention to. Like we, as a company, we must make a profit. Otherwise we will die. You know? mm-hmm. Not because profit is great. It's just necessary. It's like breathing is not great for us. It's necessary you know, for us okay. as human beings. So all this technocratic language, I mean, or, or let's say it's what, what I try to achieve here is to make you aware of the language that we're using and that there are alternative uh, you know, words. Yeah. Yeah. In this case, if you want to get fit for a marathon, you do not plan. What do you do? Train. You train, yes. But training is not enough. You also must become smarter in understanding your body, your limitations. Your you have to learn better method. We call that, there's a huge word for that, preparation. Preparation, okay. Preparation, sounds very simple. So the opposite to planning is preparation. Sounds yes. very simple, I know, but... Preparing is totally different because it's it's the preparer's responsibility to prepare to, to prepare to get fit, and so th- this is one of the beta codex principles: preparation instead of planning. Sounds okay. very simple, but there is a huge difference because usually you, we use the plans in organizations, in companies. We that's, use that's, the plans to steer yeah. others. And then, in, in, when we compare it with a marathon, um, still I have a goal. I want to like run the marathon with like some, I have a target time, right? So, and also no. what you said is, no? No. About a range. I want to be like, so when I ran, I want to be like at five minutes per kilometer, for example. That is my KPI. I, I want this. That was my goal. If you run a marathon and if you are smart, you work differently. First, you want to reach the goal. Also, you have to distance. Yes. Yeah? You want to make the distance. But then you do not say, ah, I want to make it in two hours and 40 minutes. I'm not sure how the marathon works, or mm-hmm. how, how long it takes, but something like that, right? Three hours, two minutes, hours. <laughs> uh, um, and, but you do not set targets like, I want to make the first kilo, five kilometers in such and such minutes. Mm-hmm. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. I would bet on that, that they do. That's why they have the pace. The pace exactly is the KPI that you have. Uh, that yeah, you, you use markers, orientation. You, you get orientation or some things. Okay, yes. but you don't at a target. You just use the ah, the first min, the first five kilometers took, took me such and such time. Yes, you, you use that, but it's not a target because if the weather conditions, for example, or your physical conditions don't allow you, will you have to adapt, and that is what a company is. And I think that this that is exactly of uh, making making performance indicators, which is, for example, the pace for a marathon runner, right? Um, to reflect, am I on track on what I want to do? Nobody controls me. Nobody tells me to do this, right? I am intrinsically motivated to, to achieve that. I did, I did, for example, sports for a very long time, right? And I always wanted to, um, to win, like, the, the national championship. And I knew exactly what I need to do. And I wanted to win the world championship. And I knew exactly what to do. And I trained, I prepared. And then during the competition, I always saw, okay, it's one to five against me. So now this is my KPI. I understand I need to have at least six to five for me. So now I need to adjust, right? Yeah. And my preparation yeah. helped me, but I still always see this number. But the thing, the big, th- the big thing here is not, I mean, we're discussing planning and targets and measuring now, mm-hmm. but the other big element in what you just uh, explained is that you owned your performance yes nobody exactly. told you what to That's do the big difference and plans 
And let's be very honest about it. Planning in organizations is done to steer others. So to appropriate them of their yes. brains. Absolutely. And that also, it already happens when you tell them what the key performance indicators are. Instead of telling them, no, no, you have to figure out what's important for your work. However, we must make profit. We must satisfy clients as well. Those are obvious. Yeah. It's obvious stuff, you know. Ah, these obvious things sometimes fall below the table if you don't make yeah, in command and control. But in a great organization, everybody would understand we have to satisfy customers. Like at DM Do Remarkt. It's pretty yeah. obvious what, what uh, DM Do Remarkt lives from. Satisfied customers who come again and again, who try new products, um, you know, who are happy with the product and with the environment. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and the, the company must make a profit. The, the, I, I always like to say every 14-year-old child or 16-year-old child can understand what a company needs to do to be successful. It's very simple. Yeah. So let, but in but, command and control, you force yeah, people yeah. to forget what's right because you have you force them to follow the yeah. plan. That's the right. that's why Soviet-style planning it's still it's still happening in big companies. We talked about Volkswagen, etc. They still it's yeah. it's like Soviet uh, evil Soviet empire you know? mm -hmm. or fascism. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, that that's one of the downsides of planning. It's not just that it's the wrong methodology and that preparation is better, but it's also that you take people's um, you take away people's uh, capability of self-organization, and that's okay. evil. Okay. Yeah. I, I want to share one experience with, with you, and I would really appreciate if you could tell me what I did right and maybe what I did wrong. So, because my experience... Don't expect too much. I usually criticize. No, no. It's, a, it's a conversation, <laughs> and I want to understand your opinion. So, see, yeah. we were... Till 2018, we were a hierarchical company. I did what I saw when I looked at other companies, right? They are all built hierarchically. There is like the owner, then the CEO, second level management, and then people that really deliver the value and do the work. I built my company in the same way. It was a, it's a service, uh, service company for software development. How many um, people? Yeah. How many people? Uh, 43 in, in 2018. Mm -hmm. so, um, and then it was always driven by um, command and control. So there were customers that hired us for doing a project. Then um, I told them, okay, you have this budget, you have to do this. And I told them what to do. All the tactics I gave them, it was so exhausting for me. And at a certain point I thought, okay, I can't control this anymore. It's too much pressure. It's not yeah. possible. People also yes. were not happy. So then there was a huge crash and I completely changed my company. I, I fired 20 people because I was so disappointed. Um, that was an emotional thing. And the company was at huge risk. There is a TEDx talk. If you want to see that, if you Google Manuel Pistner TEDx, you will find it. So then what happened is I hired freelancers to save my company that worked. I had a virtual team of 23 people in a single day and they migrated 8,000 web pages in four days that saved it. So then I, I saw that these people, they all came to me independent, self-determined, and decided for themselves, oh, that's a nice thing. I want to do this. This is my hourly rate. I commit to whatever, 14 hours every day, working over the weekend. Nobody tells me I want to do that. And I, so, I, I love that because I saw that people, they, they simply help me and do this because they are motivated to do it. And um, that saved my company. And then I decided I want to rebuild my company in the same way to have the same experience with my full-time employees. So what I did is I told them exactly what you saw as basic KPI. We need to be profitable. Otherwise we die. 
normal rule of the economy. Oh, then I told them, okay, so here's how it works. We, we make everything transparent, salaries transparent, the balance sheet transparent, P&L transparent. You can see everything. You get training to understand these numbers, how a balance sheet works, all these things. And you need to understand that you have to do projects. That's part of our engine of the company so that we earn money with that. Here is how the economics work. This is what a customer pays. This is your salary. You hire freelancers. And the difference is the profit that pays your salary. Okay. A part of that will be put on the company account because we also need to earn 15% based on revenue. That's the money for the company. So this is how it works. And I left them. I let them do. So this is your KPI. Be profitable. And they were so exhausted and they were some canceled and some were almost about to burn out because what I experienced, what is wrong, they were all of a sudden in an environment that was completely different from what was before that. And they didn't have the skills to understand what these numbers really mean and what they can do to influence them. And that drove some of them really, really crazy. And I want to understand now, should we protect our people from this radical transparency? Or is that normal and only the hardest survive that want to adapt and live in the system? There are others, and this is, this is the thing that excited me, those that canceled the relationship working with us, they went into large corporations where they have a boss that tells them what to do with them. Hey everybody, Chris here again. We'll get back to the conversation in just a minute. Real quick, I wanted to give a thank you and shout out to everyone that has left a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it because reviews help people find our show and climb the charts higher and higher. So if you like what you're hearing, please head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. You just might be featured right here in a future episode. Now, back to the conversation. Okay, now I will show you how I work with my clients. Yeah, perfect. Yes? Yeah. It's not pretty. That's good. Must yeah. not be pretty. Oh. Just must I be. usually <laughs> say something a little tough at the beginning. Okay. You are a very slow learner. Go, go uh -huh. for it. <laughs> you are a very slow learner. Mm -hmm. Or you didn't, from the first experience that the company grew and became unbearable and then fell apart in a way, yeah. um, you didn't learn the right lesson. Let's put it like that. No. Mm -hmm. um, because I think the right lesson is this. Um, an owner like you or founder, company founder, steering the organization and controlling it, it only gets you so far. It only works for a company of maybe 10 people, maybe 15, maybe 20, but then it falls apart. Of course, depending on how brilliant you are in your ways to communicate, yep. whatever, maybe your company falls apart at the size of seven people or 30 people or 50. It, it, there's a range, but yep. in general terms, if you have a company of let's say 10 or more people you should have two teams and then three teams at a certain size you know a team and i think that's the secret sauce to self-organization that most in the even in the agile movement have not yet understood they yet has to grasp this that team is the most important thing in yeah. larger organizations yeah so and and you were still I, I was a little harsh with you at the beginning now because even at the end of the story, you talked about individual performance, individual steering. I, 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 at least I think I heard that. I'm not sure. I don't know the details of the story. Always yeah. two people have one 
performance KPI. That's exactly. And, and, and what beta suggests is always have teams, five people. Yeah. Maybe a team starts maybe with four people, but that's not very robust because when two, when one is sick and one is on vacation, then falls apart. Yeah. Five is a good team size, six, seven, eight, and then not so much anymore. Yeah. So the secret sauce to a beta organization is teams. Let's talk about Toyota. They have teams on the shop floor. Yeah. It's like a string. It's like a pearl necklace of teams, you know, a string of teams working for each other with each other, as they say at DM Drogeriemarkt. At DM Drogeriemarkt, the branch is the team. At Handelsbanken, the branch is the team. Mm -hmm. And a team can never be bigger than, you know, maybe 10 people. Or so, yeah, but yeah. then, you know, not in software engineering or software development, by the way, or services, teams should be smaller than that. Mm -hmm. uh, for, I think, obvious reasons, but, you know, to, to maintain social density, like in a family, you know, the density, the, the, let's say the commitment with each other, for each other, and so on. You need to, to measure team performance, not individual performance. Don't give people mm -hmm. targets. Agreed set team measures or have team P&Ls, uh, profit and loss statements. You have exactly this. That, then I, I, I described it wrong. Every team has an own P&L, own balance sheet, yeah. and that's how they, how they manage it. Yeah. Why, why, why the, why, towards the end of the story, I, I couldn't figure out exactly what went wrong in your company. So, and no, I would, do not want no, to overanalyze. It, this it is not just during the process, people left because they were not made for the system. Still, we operate exactly in that way. We have small squads. They are people of like two or three people are one team. They have That's their PL, they have their team. team. Still a mistake. Sorry? Don't believe in anything that I say. You don't have to believe in anything that I say. But yes. a team is not two people. A team is not three people. Team begins with four and ends with eight. Okay. Yeah, then yeah? we have three individuals. <laughs> no, because that, and that's the thing. I, uh, we, 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 too often we ignore that in companies in order to have a successful business, you must feel like you are in a mini company with others. Correct. Absolutely agree. Yeah. That's a team. When you feel like, oh, we run a business together. It's the five of us, the six of us. Yeah. And yeah. you cannot build that with two people and you cannot make it happen with 15. It's impossible. So this is not, it has nothing to do with your, you, with your talent, your skills, or with a company's business model or something. It's like, organizations should be built on teams, period. Not on departments, not matrices, they don't, shouldn't have matrix structures. Bosses play no. Bosses are unimportant if you have a team-based organization where every team sells something to an external customer or an internal customer. That's how in we do it. Exactly how in we the peach model, we call that center. The center sells to the periphery and the periphery sells to the market. Yes. And the periphery must be in charge. This is the most important. The periphery, closer to the market because it's like a peach. It has skin and then there's the periphery, the yep. flesh. They must be in charge. They must steer the center and the center serves the periphery so that the periphery can serve the yeah. as part of the that's data. How, that's exactly how we do it. And we measure clearly the internal value proposition with numbers so that we understand how good they serve each other. It's not that somebody tells them. It's just if you are sitting in your car and you see you are driving 100 or 150. And then you can find out for yourself what does it mean for your team. Right? Yeah. That's, what yeah. would I experience... If, if, I mean, I have, I have teams that have five people. I have teams that are two people. What should I experience with these two people teams if that does not work? What you should experience? I'm not sure. Well, I'm, I'm I mean, sure. you say that a team cannot consist of two people. Yeah, but not, you have 
teams of two people since two years. No, and no, you don't have you don't have, have dooms. You have helpless helpless people stuck with each other, like double pairs. Let's call it a pair. You have pairs that you call teams. Yeah, yeah. That's like fraud. It's a lie. A pair is not a team. I'm trying to. I'm yeah, trying to. What's the difference? I'm, I'm just trying to um, demonstrate you how to approach this problem. I'm not judging you, of course. This is. Yeah, I understand this. I just want to understand what what is the the difference. I mean, when you say a team or not a team, what are the attributes of of a team then that I can't have with two people? Team dynamics. Mm -hmm. You can ha cannot have team dynamics with yourself or with just one other person. Um, in a in a team, for example, uh, let's say let's say the two of us we have deficiencies. I have deficiencies. I don't speak Turkish. I'm not good at, there are some things I'm not good at. Let's imagine <laughs> that talking to clients or whatever. I'm not, I'm, I, I, I dislike um, ringing people, you know, phone calls. I, I don't like them very much. Uh -huh. And you like them. And you speak Turkish as well, which is good, you know. Uh -huh. Or you use PowerPoint and I only use, use InDesign or whatever, you know. Yes. So our incompetencies, we can compensate them among others. Uh -huh. Only a team can do that. In a team yeah. of five, you have so much diversity that you can really, teams can be perfect. That is the, the key. Uh, I see, because, like yeah, you because, cannot be perfect, I cannot be perfect, but a team can be perfect. Mm -hmm. Not the individual, but you know, because together with five people or six, we can do everything. Yeah. They can be perfect, but they must not be perfect, right? They must find their perfection, of course. They must find their way they of... compensate their skills, their missing skills. Yes. I mean, and it might happen that I don't speak Turkish. Nobody in the team does. Still, there is no compensation, right? Yeah, and then, of course, if, if you have a diverse team of five, if people are only criticizing each other and just, you know, <laughs> making each other's lives hard, then there's no advantage. So there can be productive interaction in teams or destructive interaction teams of course that's not it's yeah it's, yeah, yeah yeah there's no simple solution to that it must mm -hmm. it must be curated so uh, so to say that's why all my teams must find themselves in, and sometimes they take a few days to do that and they and of course they have to fight about things for example fight about why is our performance bad why yeah. are we not making a profit why are our clients unsatisfied exactly And then you have to fight about it. That's why turns you, you asked you in, in your little in your story in the case description you said people couldn't bear the transparency or you doubt that transparency works. I say transparency works all the time. It's just not. I agree. Just not for everyone. It's not No, it's not pleasant. No, I think it's for everyone. Not pleasant. It's exactly. Not it's just not and pleasant. That's why people leave because they want a pleasant feeling in their job and they think. This is not I pleasant. I don't want this. I don't think so. I, 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 I have people that told me. Yes. I have people that, that told me. True. That they said, I don't want to care about all these numbers, transparency. I don't care. I want to do coding. I have a great lesson for you, Manuel. When people leave, they almost never tell the truth. The truth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there are good reasons, excellent reasons for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so even if I hate your guts, I would say, no, no, it was the. The big pressure in the company. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's and, also and that's okay. You cannot expect people to to, to tell the ultimate truth, but uh, you know, I, I I believe that. And of course, there are. Let's say in, in the world, in the world, assholes exist. Of yeah, course. it's a fact, and sometimes we are the assholes as well. You know, 
But um, in overall, I think people want to contribute. They want to feel the connection at work. They want to contribute something. Overall, they want to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's that so that's, I think it's, it's um, you know, most people want to bring that. Then there are other things that, that must be aligned or that must work out. And, and there are a thousand reasons why to leave a company or leave a job. But yeah. um, I think to create the best system, that is a very attractive thing. And that's a, that's a powerful thing. That's what, that's what we can do as you as an entrepreneur as well. Yeah, we can I'm trying very hard to do that. <laughs> that's why I admire companies like Toyota or Aldi because their businesses are vulgar. To me, it's vulgar. You know, I like Aldi, the supermarket. I go yeah. there every week. But the business is trivial, right? Mm -hmm. Selling consumer products, usually groceries that other companies produce. It's so simple, so repetitive. Still, they are doing it in a way that's cooler than that of other companies that have faded away. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to, you know, uh, at Aldi, they don't have to, um, you know, um, drill and punish their employees all the time. They have a system that works for itself. And that is very admirable, you know, to offer people a well-paid employment. They pay excellent salaries. In retail, Aldi pays in Germany, uh, at least, and I think in Europe-wide, they pay the best salaries. Trader Joe's in, in the United States, also an Aldi company, mm -hmm. uh, they pay the best salaries in the sector and they employ the oddest people, you know? Okay. And that's just great. I think that's a wonderful thing uh, that companies have, you know, um, to, to make people shine and grow and to, to create a sustainable business, you know, that runs over decades and to not treat people like children. I think that's it. that's why I'm in love with Peter so much, you know? Yeah. All about fulfilling humanity's potential through work, which often is very simple and repetitive and boring. Yeah. yeah. That is that is what I what I decided I want to build a company that contributes something positive to the life of everyone working with us. But that requires that they understand everything and then take accountability about their things like profitability or customer satisfaction. Yes. But to, to, for people to take that, uh, to be accountable, to behave like accountable human beings, you have to create the right system. And that I think, Absolutely. I think the science or the, 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 the art of creating well-functioning decentralized systems, it's very little understood. And that is what the Beta Codex and the Beta Codex Network are about. Mm -hmm. um, to, to, we, uh, to share the philosophy of self-organized companies, regardless of size, because You can have a company with 300,000 or 500,000 people. It works just as well as with 20 people. Yeah. These, yeah. these principles scale. It's not a tool like. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Which, are, um, which are other um, successful examples of organizations working according to the rules of beta? Oh, okay. The usual suspects, Southwest Airlines, WL Gore. Okay. One of the recent... Examples. Um, I mean, in Germany, we have a, we have a, we, ha we even have a magazine that features companies. Brand 1 from Hamburg, they feature companies like that frequently. Okay. Um, I think one of the later newest examples of a great company like that is Bootsorch from Bootsorch from the Netherlands, the health organization. Ah, I heard about it. Yeah. Uh, they, they do predominantly healthcare, but they are now in doing having kindergartens and that kind of stuff. They are very diversified by now. And have, okay. How many people do they have? 11,000 employees? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So 
they have only existed for a little more than a decade, if I remember well, and um, radically decentralized. They are very conscious of their principles, which is what I like. I strongly recommend everybody to watch um, Jost de Block, the founder's um, stuff on YouTube, his interviews, his uh, keynotes. I think he's a brilliant uh, speaker and explains very well how this works. Okay. I lived in Brazil for a while. In Brazil, we always had the, the company Semco as a great example. Yeah, 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 yeah. Semco also very diversified and they have been growing and degrowing because they create companies and grow and then they sell them. Uh, yeah. They are not growth overall, but um, the company is has these principles and, and Ricardo Semler has written several books about them as well. So this guy we is on our website, betacodex.org, you find a list of companies. Pioneer. This guy, Ricardo Semler, I, I didn't, I, I was not aware of this person's name since somebody mentioned that I implemented exactly what he did on LinkedIn. It was like only a month ago. I didn't remember the name of this guy, but I remember exactly the video that I watched that inspired me two years ago to build my company, how it is today. And that was how to lead a company with almost no rules. That was so great. And that was the, the, the initial thought, the initial emotion when I decided, okay, I want the same. Yes. Yeah. 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 The pro the problem when I, I also admit I have a problem with cases. We just mentioned a few, right? Bürtzeug and Semco and yeah. Toyota and Handelsbank and Gore, fantastic companies. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is that cases do not work. Not for for others to copy. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody. I mean, cases are someone inspiring. Cases, cases are like um, chocolate, you know, mm -hmm. very sweet, and you get a good, good feeling, you know, looking yeah. at them. Yeah. But they do not convince you to do the same. In some cases, they inspire, like what you just said, yes. Manuel. Yes, they inspired uh, Semco. The Semco case inspired you. But inspiration is not enough. Um, I, 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 I prefer the Yoda adage: Do or do not. There is no try. If you want to have a company like that, mm -hmm. you do it full, full force, yeah. full throttle, or you, or you better leave it at that. You know? Absolutely agree. Because self-organization is the game of making, you know, self-organization requires you big faith. Like mm -hmm. our faith in democracy must be, must be very strong to defend the democracy. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you would say, ah, all politicians are crap. I'm not sure. We can also have a dictator again, you know, but mm -hmm. you know, I believe in democracy and we should also believe in self-organization. This is mm -hmm. very relevant for the Agile movement, I think. In the Agile movement, too few people are in love with self-organization. Too, too many of people in the Agile movement are in love with tools. Mm -hmm. And tools are just... <laughs> they help you to do what you want to do, maybe more efficient, but you need to understand what you really want and have to do. Exactly. Right? We have to be in love with the philosophy, mm -hmm. with, the human, with the politics, let's say, of mm -hmm. self-organization. And not the tools. The tools come last. You cannot put the philosophy into tools. It doesn't yeah, yeah. work. Aichi Ono said that famously. When we, when we, um, when we uh, crystallize thinking into tools, then the thinking dies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes we sense. believe that everybody has to appropriate the thinking so that self-organization can sustain itself. That is mm -hmm. what the Beta Codex movement is about. It's not about tools. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not tools. I mean, we need tools, but you know, the tools not interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. Yes. So when, when a company starts, 
And then Daniel, sorry, then you can continue with the question because I find it so exciting and engaging. I, I, I see, I see it. When somebody creates a new company, individual entrepreneur has huge goals. How would you, I mean, you don't give a recommendation and there is no do it like this blueprint, but which values or things concrete would you give this person to, the, to his or her hand so that he or she can build such a self-organized company? Well, I think you got it wrong. We have very specific ideas about startups. Okay. We, say, we like to say startups usually are in naive beta, as we call it. Beta yeah. is the beach for a larger organization. And a startup, it's like a one-cell organism. So you start with four people, five people, seven people, whatever, you know. That's where you are, have a one-cell organism, organization. Mm -hmm. Organism yeah. just as a metaphor. Yeah. So usually you have a naive kind of self-organization. And it works usually, you know. There is, there is, and one of them, maybe the founder is an asshole and shouts at everybody. But still they have this social density that when they really struggle with something, they go to the bar and get drunk and fight and then find a solution together. So there is social density. We call this naive beta. Uh -huh. Okay. But that doesn't sustain forever. If you grow beyond 10, 20, 30 people, this naive density starts to erode. Yep. And you have destructive, usually destructive patterns emerging. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. That is why when an organization grows beyond 10 or 15 people, it starts, as we call it, to, to, distinct, to, to differentiate between center that should serve the periphery, but not steer it, and the periphery as such that serves the external customers, clients, yep. customers, market. Yep. If, you do not that do, if you don't do that consciously, you fall into the trap of command and control. Okay. Once a startup grows beyond the super mini size, it can only take the path of period or peach centralization or decentralization and most startups ups surprise take the road to yeah but still it works i mean that's that's the thing right the pressure Never might works. not be high enough so that they need really decentralization no alpha organization works maybe they survive maybe they make a profit but yeah. they do not work get this out of your head like, you do you think that fascism works anywhere or autocratic regimes work? I do not believe so. You know, my, I, I personally have no, no beef with uh, Mr. Erdogan from Turkey, but he's an autocrat, yeah? a dictator of sorts. The Turkey, the country doesn't work. It doesn't function. You can say, oh, they survive and they, their economy grew for a while, which by the way, has nothing to do with Mr. Erdogan himself, but with previous politics they did. And any t any anyone living in Turkey can say that Mr. Erdogan is very it's great and he's a very nice dictator. Still, it doesn't work as well as as a democracy. It's obvious. I believe in democracy. I believe in self-organization. Don't tell me that Volkswagen or any other command and control organization like Siemens works. It doesn't work. It's barely enough, you know, to still attract some. What people. is it that makes a company work? I mean, which measures or or how do we see if I look at a company? How can I see works does not work? Relative performance. Compared to what, if it's relative? Compared to Yota to Volkswagen, and you see that Volkswagen is not okay, market at all for, for decades. Yeah. They have been bigger sometimes than Toyota. Okay. So, so you need to compare. Yeah. So compare, comparing the performance of the company to others, you mean, and we measure 
relative times or relative, perfor relative performance to compare actual performance of one party of a team or a company to another team or company. Yeah. Yeah. And you compare the performance on what profitability or customer satisfaction or revenue growth. What is it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> read our white paper number, I think 10 or 11 about performance system. It calls performance systems at work. I think. Okay. It's I will do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for example, do not compare profit in euros or dollars with yep. other teams or companies profit in euros or dollars, because that would be mean comparing large and small. Mm -hmm. and sometimes teams have more or less customers or size for whatever reason. That, but size doesn't matter. So, a size only mattered in the industrial age when markets were still monopolists, monopolies and oligopolistic. Yeah, so. Uh, if you want to make a good comparison about profit, do it relatively. For example, uh, for a retail company, it might be a return on sales. Okay. Percentage, you know, is it? Yeah, yeah, okay. 2%, 3%, Aldi has maybe five, Lidl has 2.5. Which is the better company? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Aldi. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, so relative targets or relative performance means comparing actual real numbers with other real numbers. Mm -hmm. And without defining a fixed target, you should never say, let's make 3% or let's make 10. Never. Then you okay. turn it fixed and people will bribe the system or play the system, game the system. Mm -hmm. So I very much recommend this white paper. I will look up which one it is. The Beta Codex white paper called, I think it's called, yes, Making Performance Work. Beta Codex white paper number 10. Okay. Yeah, it's very highly recommended. It also tells you why bonuses are a crime against humanity and so on. Okay. Yeah, we will post these links below the, um, the video so that we have it in the show notes. And Great. I will definitely read it. <laughs> Daniel. Nils, you're talking as well a lot about the, the, the struggle between those the different structures. So we don't have um, always um, a whole peachy organization or a complete uh, hierarch uh, hierarchical organization command and control and as well like the informal part of the um, organization could you give a little bit more insight about this about um, the struggle itself between those different environments that are clashing with each other or sometimes interacting with each other but mm -hmm. uh, um, we have them always present right we don't have like pure PG organizations or pure command and control organizations. Yes, that is a, in, in, I've been with this movement, the beyond budgeting movement and now the beta movement for almost 20 years. And this is always a big topic, uh, but there are no pure beta, pure alpha companies these days. There's always this dynamics between informal, formal and, and whatever. Um, so we, at some point we wanted to solve this riddle and we solved it. In 2011, we solved this riddle. We figured out that um, every organization has three structures. Every organization in the world, Aldi, Toyota, Handelsbanken, WL Gore, and also what's the most terrifying command and control organization in the world? Okay, let's take Volkswagen or whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, or, or, or General Motors or, Bank of America or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. And of course, most organizations are command control pyramid organizations. So each of every, all these organizations have three structures. We call this concept arc physics. There's also a beta codex network white paper number 11 
that's called Arc Physics Explained. This is really one of the best works, one of the best things that we have developed in the last couple of years. So Arc Physics says every organization has formal structure, which is bosses on top, people at the bottom, you know, see, we have to have a CEO at the top and that kind of, we have to have an audit committee. We must have contracts and we must have, you know, an accounting system and bookkeeping, you know, formal structure. It's needed to be within the law. Usually what we do is we over accentuate, most organizations over accentuate formal structure because they think it matters beyond compliance, which is a mistake. People think that because I'm the CEO, I can steer, I know more, I should steer the entire company like a bad, like an evil emperor. Yeah? That's the mistake. The mistake is not to have a CEO. A CEO is necessary for legal reasons for many companies you know, due to compliance for, due to their, due to law. So the problem is not having a CEO, having, you know, managers. Uh, the problem is when these people start to steer the organization because they think that's how an organization works. So here's, that's the first structure, formal structure. Usually we try, draw an org chart to depict it. Second structure, you just mentioned it, uh, Daniel, informal structure. So that's, we like each other or we dis dislike each other. It doesn't respect hierarchy at all, you know. Very powerful and that's present in every organization. So every organization has huge power games going on in informal structure. From solidarity to, you know, mobbing as we call it you know back, back backstabbing people at work Bulling. all of them yeah water yeah. cooler mm -hmm. kurzer dienstweg as we say in germany there's thousands <laughs> of phenomena in informal structure that's very powerful so we have formal structure very powerful but only good for solving compliance problems informal structure very powerful and that's more you know beyond in the coffee coffee breaks and so on mm -hmm. and here's the thing those two structures are very well understood in most organizations. Sometimes people ignore informal structure, which is, which is stupid to ignore it. But those structures are well understood. You know, formal structure, informal structure. We like or dislike each other. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. The most important structure to do the work is a third structure. We call it value creation structure. And value creation structure, by nature, that's why we call it org physics, flows from the inside out, from center to periphery to market. There's no way around it, but most organizations have never thought about this and they don't understand the dynamics or the physics of that. Of that if markets are complex, the periphery must be in charge to steer the center and not the other way around. So this is the PG structure, though, what we call beta usually. And here's the thing. If you do not understand or respect this value creation structure, the third structure in which the real work and value creation is done and innovation is done, then the formal structure, the pyramid, and this value creation structure start to have an epic fight. Mm -hmm. And that's bad. Formal mm -hmm. structure should do what it does best, which is to generate compliance, to fulfill you know, the law. And you should liberate value creation structure that, that people with mastery and teams can be in charge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's very different, you know, a boss and somebody with mastery, they may be the same people, but usually it's not, so these two structures are in, in this epic struggle in most organizations. You said that, ah, oh, no organization is pure alpha. Yes, because there is this epic fight going on between the three structures. For example, people with mastery want to do the work, but they can't because bosses are steering so hard and there's so much planning and, and allocations and budgeting and performance appraisal and all this bullshit. So there's a conflict and through 
informal structure and politics, you try to smoothen it out. It happens all the time in organization. Extremely wasteful leads to zip performance. Mm -hmm. So the only solution, the only salvation for organization is to put value creation structure first, to decentralize radically. That's what Toyota and Semco and Aldi and DM Dogeri Markt and Allsbank have done. Decentralize mm -hmm. and formal structure, you know, at the, the CEO, a woman, Terry Kelly, mm -hmm. she says, it's not my duty to know what's going on in the company, how people are doing their work. I'm just the CEO. My role is to attract people to the company and re represent it well. And to, you know, to sign the certain legal documents because she has to do it, nobody else can do it. Yeah, that's it. That's the CEO. The CEO is not the most powerful person, the hero at the top. I'm just serving the company so that other people can run the business. Exactly. That's yeah. what Ricardo Semler would say about Semco 20 years ago as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so this, this, this idea of understanding the three structures of organization, understanding org physics is key to seeing better organizations emerge. It's not, mm -hmm. this is not about revolution. This is, this is just about putting value creation structure first, understanding the vocabulary, the vocabulary. Would, and, you, uh, put, would you put KPIs on this value proposition to measure it? Yes, value creation structure. You, uh, within value creation structure, you have teams in the center, teams in the periphery, and you should yeah. measure all of their performances. Yes. Not two people, five to yeah, seven. Yeah. Yeah, and then we have the same understanding now and exactly this is where our evolution from the initial crash through this change where people left and we, we just tested, right? I, I didn't read your white papers. Maybe I should have done that before. I had no change manager, whatever. I just decided how it works won't work for me anymore. And I want to have people that work self-motivated, self-determined, independent, etc. And now there is... I am here, I want to be there. The way between that, no idea. So we just figure it out. And today I never want to go back to the old system again. It's so much more efficient. And I, I have a team, we are, as we say in Germany, sitting in the same boat, right? We share common interests and they are not my resources to earn money, how it was before. I think one, one big advantage we have uh, at Bright Solutions and FlashUp is that, um, and that I can say without making commercials for our, ourselves, is uh, we we respect each other, right? In our teams, uh, in our relations between the coworkers and colleagues, uh, there's there's a huge amount of respect which helps us uh, through these times uh, and and helped us over the last two three years uh, um, to figure out all this stuff. And in in a hierarchical company, this would might never happen. Um, as we as we come slowly to the end of our show today. Um, could you help us to understand a little bit more about the topic respect needs? Um, how, how important is it and how we get out of this toxic environments that we find so often in, in different companies, uh, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of them right now in the show, um, because it seems to me as a, one of the key factors or key indicators, uh, um, how could things go better in the future as we still don't see this uh, vast majority changing to beta or something similar. Not yet. Not yet. Um, I think we will see more companies changing because now we know how to do it in very, very little time, in just a few months. You know, one of the recent uh, news from our network is that we figured finally, if we, after, after, for me, almost two decades, we figured out how, to, how any organization can transform in 90 days, which is a huge step because 
you wouldn't want to do it with consultants, right? So a good method must be consultant-free, fast, reliable, self as self-organized as the organization we want, we want to create. We call that open approach, open space beta. It is open source. Anybody can read about it and uh, anybody can do it without, without asking you, for example. So that's an interesting thing. Um, but you asked about respect, right? Respect. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough topic for me, respect. What uh, is that? I think respect and trust and culture and that kind of stuff, they are results. Uh -huh. So you cannot, even though I cannot say to my wife, trust me more, respect me more. Let's have a better family culture. I, I could do it, but it's nonsense. She would laugh at me. Because ultimately these things, respect and trust and stuff, they are the result of the conditions and the, the things that we create and so on. Yeah. And of course, we want to have respectful environments. I want to have respect within my family, my organization, my life and our societies. Everybody wants respect and trust. However, it, you cannot create it, you cannot force it, you cannot, you know, wanting it is not enough. We have to create conditions. And I can only tell you, you know, an alpha organization will always strive on fear and loathing and dis in a way on disrespect. It's a disrespect because any command and control organization curates and creates learned helplessness. So that's the antidote of something like respect and dealing with each other on eye level and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, so in, within command and control systems, we cannot expect things like trust or respect or social density or for fulfillment of people's potential, we cannot really expect that because mm -hmm. those organizations are built against it. It's like authoritarianism in Turkey currently, unfortunately. It's a sad thing. We cannot expect trust to grow because people will, you know, or as in fascism in Germany 70, 80 years ago, people were sniping, you know, uh, you know, talking badmouthing each other. So I would badmouth you so that you would be thrown to prison or a concentration camp. Authoritarianism, fascism, Stalinism always creates distrust and disrespect. It's a result of the system that we create. So what I can offer is only to say, okay, we know how beta organizations work. We know how organizations like Semco, Toyota, Aldi, Handelsbank, WLGOR, Southwestern, how they work. We know the principles. We know, that, we know that decentralization is key. We know that teams are key. We know that we should not, we know that we should not make annual plans and set fixed targets and should not have bonus systems and all of that. We know all, of, all about it. How the boards of this world, world work, we know that. Our duty as entrepreneurs or people who you know, aspire to improve the world should be to create such systems. And then I, would, I think we will see a lot more respect, a lot more trust, Lot of, lot more fulfillment of human potential. A lot of more, a lot more democracy. I can one hundred percent confirm that when I compare our culture before two thousand eighteen to the culture that we have right now, exactly we see these phenomenons. Yeah, and the culture is like it. The the things that you do to the system that work well, they ripple through into the culture in some way. Yes. But it takes time. So one thing that you mess up today, if today you shout at an employee that may show up in your organization culture as something terrible two years later or one year later. You know? yeah. So these things are not directly linked. Never forget, organizations are complex systems. The yeah. system theory is very important for us. Yes. Very informative, has been very informative for um, improving the beta codex model as well. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. This distinction between center and periphery. And what it does to an organization to not steer internally, but to decentralize the steering to the market and have self-organization, a self-organized, self-organized self-structure network to respond to market complexity. Mm-hmm. Great. I hope it was a, a decent answer to your question about respect. Yes, 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 of course, of course. Um, thank you so much, Niels. I think we are way over time. Um, um, we want to spend uh, um, our yeah, listeners too much. Um, thank you very much for, for participating and, and sharing these inputs. Uh, it was very, very interesting. I think uh, for Manuel as well. I, I uh, could see him uh, on his chair whipping and um, this, is, this is great. Uh, Niels, how, how could people get in contact with you or with the Beta Code Network, uh, Codex Network, um, if they want to know more about it, if they want to get involved, if they want to learn about uh, the system and the Codex itself? Yes, the network is on betacodex.org, betacodex, B-E-T-A-C-O-D-E-X.org. My, my company or our new company is called Red42, that is Red40 in letters, and then the two as a number, so Red40. Com. And I have a personal website as well, needsflaging.com. Um, so all of this is good. Um, I also published two books that I have recommended a little bit during the session, Organize for Complexity and Open Space Beta. Um, uh, most, of, most of our work is free, though, and I recommend you to, to, to make use of uh, the fact that the Beta Codex is an open source social technology self-structure design. And open space beta are also open source social technology. So you can use these these words to Google it and to find out uh, where you you know you, where you find the concept overview, the the, the open source licenses, on, and so on. So they are free to use, and 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 I think we need those social technologies to make the world a better place. Starting point: betacodex.org. Great. That's a good closing point. Thank you very much again. Thank you as well. Thank you as well to our listeners for uh, joining today. And we see each other in our next episode here at Virtual Frontier. I'd like to thank our guest, Niels Fleling, for joining us today. You can find out more about Niels and the Beta Codex Network using the links in the show notes. Remember that you can find the full transcript of this episode on our blog that is also linked in the show notes. You can subscribe to The Virtual Frontier on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And while you're there, please leave us a review. Reviews help people find our podcast, and don't forget, your review could be mentioned on a future episode. If you want to learn more about Virtual Teams as a service, visit flashhub.io. On behalf of the team here at FlashHub, I'd like to thank you for listening. So until next episode, keep exploring new frontiers.